0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
1: And welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Pierre Tiam. Pierre is a celebrated chef, restaurateur, award-winning cookbook author, and entrepreneur. Born and raised in Senegal, he is known for his innovative cooking style at once modern and eclectic, yet rooted in the rich culinary traditions of West Africa. He's the executive chef of Tarenga with two locations in New York City and also a now four-time cookbook author with the newest one just released. The newest one is called Simply West African, easy, joyful recipes for every kitchen. Thank you so much for being here, Pierre. (laughs) I'm so excited to talk to you. It's
3: my pleasure to be here, Alexa.
1: Yay! So you have so much going on. I can hardly even keep track. And congratulations on the fourth cookbook just coming out. And you have a million things on your plate, as I can only imagine. But I want to start with the very beginning of your culinary story. And I want to hear what kind of your childhood was like, what some of the foods you grew up eating were, and what the beginning of this journey was like for you.
3: Well, the the journey did start in my childhood, even though I'm from Senegal, which is a culture that uh, is gender-based when it comes to cooking. So the kitchen, a boy would never be in the kitchen. So, you know, I would be on the other side, appreciating food that was very, very creative, you know, the food from Senegal because of the fact that it's a coastal country, it's like the most Western coast in Africa, turned it into also a, a, a hub. It was the entrance point to Africa. So that yeah, so that that made it a place with uh, multicultural cuisine because every culture that came through Senegal brought their cuisine, and um, and so we have growing up in Dakar, which is the capital city, we have influences from the region. First, we have the street food from Dakar was always you know either women from Benin or Togo making these amazing. My favorite ones I'm going to quote black eye pea They call it akara or these beignet puff puffs. And uh, the Senegalese women would make these really amazing peanut snacks, you know, that's cooked in a really interesting method of cooking it in a sand a beach, like it's like a sand grilling. So the, the peanuts are roasted in sand. Yeah, never, never seen it anywhere else, but it's like, it turns into like this amazing, like very crunchy, Peanuts, that's like uh, salty and crunchy. It's quite addictive. And that's like the thing that you have every single day in Dakar. I mean, in addition to that, you have also the influences from countries like Cote d'Ivoire. Women from Cote d'Ivoire would have these tiny restaurants right outside of school. That would be what we would have at recess, you know, with like grilled fish and roasted plantain. You know, very interesting. Not to mention the other cultures as well. Uh, outside of the region you know the french colonizers of course brought their their, their food culture you have a, and we have a vietnamese community in senegal a lot of people don't know about that absolutely and they bring their food culture as well and i grew up with that too in senegal we eat these vietnamese spring rolls that we call nem and you see them in every uh name birthing ceremony or every celebration it's not even seen as Remembered as Vietnamese, it's just part of it now. So these kind of things uh, were my my upbringing. Growing up in Senegal, I had access to this rich diversity, this rich uh, cuisine. Plus the local, the Senegalese cuisine, which is also quite amazing. I mentioned being coastal, so it's like lots of seafood, lots of seafood. Mostly the diet is grain-based, so we would have grains. Rice is very prominent, and, and other grains like millet and fonio are also coming on the diet in terms of, in forms of couscous, with like you know lamb stews that looks like you know a, a tagine from Morocco, which are our northern neighbors who also have a, an influence in the in the local cuisine that I experienced, and and then that's that's my uh, bringing in Dhaka wow. and uh, yeah and and this amazing uh, that
1: amazing is pot. incredibly interesting. I had no idea there were like so many influences in that area, and I think that. A lot of people who don't know a whole lot about, you know, the continent of Africa in general don't realize how many different like how many differences there are between the different regions of Africa. And as I've learned more about even just West African cuisines from the different countries there, even those are also different. And so is that kind of a big part of what you do with your restaurants and your books and everything else is kind of educating people on the differences in these cuisines?
3: Exactly, exactly. Early early in my career as a young cook in New York City, actually, when I moved here, I, I saw that as an opportunity. You know, New York City was called already the food capital of the world. And I, I saw that uh, the cuisines of West Africa was absent of that world. And, and I also knew that this was not a complete world. And in addition, you know, this food is so... Uh, rich in terms of culture and, and so uh, flavorful and so much had to offer. That contribution was was needed and I, you know, intentionally decided to to take it as my source of inspiration moving forward in my career as a, as a cook and becoming a chef. And so, yeah, and as I was exploring and in that quest, I, I've learned so much and I've traveled across the continent, especially that region of Africa. and And, you know, Opened a restaurant in Lagos. Those experiences just gave me. Uh, a, 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 I was in a vantage position to to learn more about this cuisine, and I've you know I keep learning. It's just so much to, uh, you know, that tradition is ancient. You know, you go yeah. you go for uh, like millennia and 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 you know it's uh, it's just became my my mission. To to, to, to to find it and that became my mission. And it was uh, found in my menus at my restaurants and in my books, I've been writing about them and the books were more uh, anthropological type of work, you know, really talking yeah. about, yeah, really it was, you know, that's how it becomes. And you realize that food is is more than just a collection of recipes food, food allows you to, to time travel and, and through the recipes and the dishes, there is, there are stories in those, you know. So those, those stories tell you about not only the the, the farmers and the producers that have, uh, you know, domesticated these crops, and but also about just how those ingredients arrived into your plates. You know, how did they become West African ingredients? Sometimes that even divers and tells you about colonization. You know, when you see like the national dish of Senegal, which is this amazing. Uh, rice and, uh, and seafood that's similar to paella. Actually, there's connection. That's another story. But, you know, why are we using a rice that's broken, which is uh, the, the debris of rice and, and not... Really? Oh, yes. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's that wasn't the case originally. But with colonization, uh, the French... You know, colonization colonization was a business, right? And the French wanted to have Senegalese farmers... Grow a certain type of crops which were like cash, became cash crops, and those crops were like peanuts and cotton and, and sugarcane. And so, for them to focus on those crops, you know, they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't want them to grow our, our local rice, they wouldn't want them to grow our local millets and beans, and then uh, all our local, uh, you know, crops. So, they, they imported this broken rice from Vietnam because oh. the broken, because they were also colonizing Vietnam at the time. Called, that area was called Indochina. And Vietnam had also rice culture. And the rice, when it's processed, there's the leftovers, those debris called broken rice that Vietnamese at the time were using for animal feed. And French took it, which was almost free, and brought it to Senegal. And it was make, made accessible to Senegalese who embraced it and started to use it since it was more economical. So looking at a dish tells you a story, and the story for this particular uh, broken rice is told when you look at the national dish of Senegal, it's called chebujan. Chebujan is a dish that looks like a pie. It's rice that's been cooked in a, in a tomato broth, but a broth that's been uh, flavored with fermented locust bean and fermented conch. And it has, um, vegetables, root vegetables, usually that cook in it. And then a fish that's stuffed with a, a spice mixture that has, we call it rough. It has lots of parsley and garlic in it. So it's really like a, a flavorful broth. So imagine that rice, that rice is full of flavor and it's bright red. Uh, that rice is usually when you see it in Senegal now, is this broken rice and you wonder why are we using a broken rice instead of using our, you know, rice that we traditionally grow in Senegal. And that right. tells you the story of like, you know, how the rice came and then they like, well, scratch your head, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No kidding. Well, so how did you learn all this, like history, and like you've just been studying this pretty much your whole life?
3: That's my life journey. Yes, And that the moment I, I decided to you know be um, a, 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 a chef that finds his inspiration in the foods of my tradition, I started to look and, and to, to 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 look for those recipes and to bring them into for my audience for my restaurants for my menus for my books and and that research that quest kept taking me into um, so much um, there, there's so much more it's a deep well of knowledge that's been you know that's been there for you know for, for thousands of years I mean, if you want to go all the way back you know there's like you know ingredients that been domesticated 5,000 years. The rice in particular has been grown for 3,500 years in in West Africa. And we don't, you know, we don't talk much about that rice. We know about the Asian rice, but there are two big families of rice. So all those things really came from that just being moment I became intentionally looking for, you know, representing my cuisine and representing my cuisine. I wanted it to, to be done the right way. So the right way was to to know it myself and to to study it. So you know, traveling yeah. and and spending time with with the the mothers and the aunties and grandmas was the, the the most direct way because they are the custodians of that cuisine and they you know they share their recipes with me. Because that was the way that we transmitted recipes. They were transmitted from mother to daughter, from grandmother to mother, et cetera, et cetera. So it was never really written in books, you know. So when I decided to start writing those recipes down into books, it was my way to, to not only contribute and, and really make sure this, this, this knowledge is transmitted. It was important. You know, because, you know, food is culture. And as you transmit that knowledge, like I said, you're transmitting their stories. You're transmitting, you know, uh, a tradition, you know, of like, you know, of, uh, so much more than the recipes, really. you, you like, you know, you, you're telling stories of like that were told to, your, your your mom and your grandma et etc, and all the way back you know so this is all of that that um comes up from you know just looking to 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 learn more about this cuisine and to to share it with the world
1: that's so beautiful and I like can only commend and just congratulate you on being able to kind of take that knowledge that like you said, you kind of have to ask like grandmas and aunties and kind of these things that are just sort of word of mouth and getting them written down in these books and these stories that you've been able to tell. And obviously it's your, your life's work. So I, you know, just commend you on how much work that's taken. And, you know, I think it's a very beautiful thing to be able to share those stories with the world. All right. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This
2: episode is brought to you by Wisconsin cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese.
1: you talk about tradition and a lot of things that have evolved over time in Senegal. But one thing that stuck with me that you mentioned earlier in this conversation was that in, you know, growing up there, it was kind of the reverse, you know, it was not viewed as for men to be in the kitchen. It was viewed as the opposite way. So how did you decide that that was what you wanted to do? Cause that's kind of what I'm sitting here wondering is, okay, so that wasn't <laughs> the culture. Why, why, how did this happen? How did this plan out then? <laughs>
3: It's a very good question. I stumbled into cooking, really. You know, like I said, I was exposed to it as anyone, boy or girl in Senegal. You grow up, you're exposed to this wonderful cuisine. You know, just because it's here. You know, it's a it's it's a way of life. You know, at 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 lunchtime at noon is everything stops in Senegal in Dakar. Everything stops. Everyone goes home to to have a lunch that's like the most important meal of the day, and that lunch is prepared from scratch you know that means mom or whoever cooks it it went to the market on a daily basis to get fresh ingredients and prepares these very elaborate meals you know that Dish I just described to you, the, the Cheboygan national dish is just one of many others. Sometimes it's at this grilled chicken yasa with caramelized onions and lime, or or just peanut sauce of root vegetables and, and lambs too. I mean, there's like, I mean, the gumbo, also another one with okra too, and seafood. There's so many dishes that you would have on a daily basis. So growing up in that environment and now Years later, as a student, I come to New York with a student visa. I come to the U.S. with a student visa. I was on my way to Ohio. You know, I having left Senegal, I was in university in Dakar, a student in physics and chemistry. And uh, well, you went I,
1: from Senegal right to Ohio. You said,
3: uh, "Well, I went to Senegal on my way to Ohio." Okay. This, yeah, and stopped by New York and got stuck in New York for three decades. <laughs> so that's a, that's a long story. <laughs> but, but let me tell you a little bit what happened. So I left Senegal, we were part of a student movement and we were on strikes. That strike went for so long that the university got shut down by the government. And that was the, the 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 prompting for me to look for a way to finish my studies, and for many of my peers as well, we went from there to many of them were going to France most of the time because that was the natural destination. And I managed to find a, a, an application to a school in Ohio, in uh, close to Cleveland, and that was uh, a school that would take my application, and and I could finish my degrees in physics and chemistry there. And I got the student visa and there was no direct flight from Dakar to Cleveland, obviously. So New York was my first stop. And I knew a friend in New York who had been living there just for a few months before me. He was uh, from Senegal as well. And he offered me to stay with him for a couple of weeks on my way to Ohio so I can at least see New York once in my life. And, you know, I couldn't refuse that offer. And at the time, New York, it was, I mean, it still is crazy, but it was really crazy. You know, it was late 1989. Even
1: and, uh, more crazy than it is now.
3: Oh my God! You know, it was like the, the it was in the middle of the crack epidemic, the AIDS epidemic. It was all those things were happening at the time in New York, and and we stayed in this place near Times Square. And Times Square was not what you know today. Times Square was like, you know, I mean, the drug infested. It was just a, a bleak, bleak. New wow.
0: York.
3: Oh, absolutely. So in that beautiful scenery. Three days after I arrive, I get robbed. Oh and, no! <laughs> yes, I get robbed, and, and not only, but the, the, the little savings I had, including even my fare to go to Ohio, oh got, no! gone. It's like gone. And I welcome to New York City, and luckily. Yeah, I, I guess had, you were
1: stuck there.
3: I, I stuck here, and I, I, I could have returned to Senegal. I had a return ticket. And that was my first instinct. I'm like, I'm going get out of this place. I mean, New York compared to that, Dakar was like, you know, it's like a beautiful seaside city. It was peaceful. It was family, love, everything, great food. And now I'm here in New York, broke, and it's getting Getting cold, robbed. Getting robbed. It's getting cold, and, and I'm broke. So the, the friend I was staying with uh, happened to be working in a restaurant, and that restaurant was looking for a busboy. And, and he's like, well, maybe you can make some money and before going back home and take this job. You know, it doesn't require much skills. And, uh, and the restaurant was in the West Village. So I went and, and applied and, and the boss was a cool cat. You know, and, and I got the job. And the job was just me taking empty plates and dishes to the kitchen and, and cleaning the tables, that kind of thing busboys do. And uh, so my first cultural shock in that restaurant. I'm in the kitchen to do my, you know, cleaning stuff,
2: mm-hmm. and
3: and I see that <laughs> there was only guys in that kitchen, um. <laughs> and I'm coming from a world where there's only women in the kitchen,
1: right? And
3: and, and the guys are doing some some really tasty looking stuff too. So so somehow I I got I got connected with the guys you know over time and they became my crew really you know I would go there and we would have fun you know you know I would spend more time in the kitchen than in in the front of the house where I was supposed to be and yeah. the chef and the chef took a liking in me as well because he also could practice his French with me. And uh, he knew my story. He knew I needed to make extra money. So he offered extra shifts. You know, after Busboy, you could come and do some dishwasher shift, you know. And, and the dishwasher shift for him was, you know, he, he thought I, yeah, I would love it because he, that's where he started for him. He started as a dishwasher and he became a chef. It's like, you know, that's my school and this is the best school, you know, if you're interested in that, you know, at least, you know, if not, at least you make extra shift, extra money. And I'm like, right. and, and so, so I gave it a shot. I hated it, obviously. I hated dishwashing. (laughs) Nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I was like, it was embarrassing, you know, that to me, I'm like, you know, I I, am an intellectual. I think, you know, I'm like, what am I doing? Washing dishes in America. I hate New York. Let me get out of here. But eventually, you know, the dishwasher turns into uh, prep cook now because the the prep guy doesn't show up and then they, pull you in and they give you a knife and they give you a cutting board and they give you peelers and you start peeling onions more than you ever <laughs> thought you could you know and start peeling right just non-stop non-stop but you're learning life skills you know you're learning the other skills in the kitchen and that goes into from that position to go into the garde-manger position where you learn you start to learn the cold station of the kitchen you learn you know, the salads and the dressings, and you start, it starts getting interesting. Now you're learning, you know, about some reaction that even makes sense to you. You know, how a dressing is like olive oil and, and vinegar or, or lemon, which is like in chemistry, acid and lipid, and it's called an emulsion, you know, and then chemistry is called an emulsion to some like, oh, I, I know these terms and I understand, you know, acid, lipid, you know, it's like, and it tastes good. It's better than even physics chemistry. And I'm, I'm no, I, I gradually I'm like learning more and more and I'm going from Garda Marie to now the green station and to making the line. Making my way to, up. Making my way up and, and connecting with every reaction in this kitchen, you know, every recipe, everything was, I was thinking of it as, you know, as chemistry. You know, I was really seeing food is chemistry here and, and I'm liking this and I'm like, you know, this is, you know, I didn't know why I was studying physics and chemistry. It was not something I had a passion for. I was just there because I was there, but now this makes more sense now I feel like there's a you know there's a a a, a thread here, and you know it makes sense for me to stick to this cooking thing you know give it a try over I still had that cultural thing though I was like, uh it's not for boys, you know maybe here they do it, but I can't even you know say this i have a job as a as a cook but 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 it took moments you know for me to see that not only this was the right path for me but then when i had the first conversation with my parents and and had to admit that no more physics and chemistry i was like into cooking and waiting for that that the, oh boy! <laughs> and waiting for that, <laughs> and that that tornado never came. Actually, they supported me, and they, my mom in particular thought this was, you know, quite uh, a great choice. And she was, I was like, wow, you know, I I thought you guys wouldn't even understand my choice, but right. they were. My mom was very, yeah, very supportive, very very supportive, and actually well, even sharing right. recipes with me. But yeah, yeah, it was really. All I was stuck in my head, but it was not that much of a problem. And it became, they it, it became my mom in particular became my first support, especially when I is, you know, I started really getting into it and 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 thinking, I'm going to not only grow into this. Uh, path of cooking, but I want also to bring my contribution. I'm like, I think, you know, West African food should have a place in New York City, and this is what I'm going to be bringing. And eventually, I left that restaurant. I worked in an Italian restaurant, a French restaurant, and then a restaurant in Soho called Boom. And that's at that restaurant that I even got promoted to sous chef, then to chef de cuisine. Then Ooh, I was, you go? Know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Over time, you know, I was really into it. I mean, I was putting all my hours I was working crazy hours, though. I was working a lot, and when I wasn't in the kitchen, I was reading about food. You know, I was going to New York Public Library and just learned—I mean, immerse myself into it. This was really something. I was totally, you know, but nothing about my cuisine, nothing about Africa, was there. You know, it's like it was the big absent, and that was bothering me. And at uh, at 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 the restaurant, you know, there's a time where it's your turn to cook family meal or staff meal, right? And when it's my turn to do it, I'm always thinking of food from memory. And I would bring it to the staff, you know, food that my mom would cook for me. And I would think of those dishes from memory. I was like, okay, that peanut sauce, you know, now I grasp the techniques, you know, I can, you know, and I start using it and and bringing them to the staff. And that was always a hit. The staff never had this kind of cuisine, and they were like, wow, this is this is different. This is unique, and you know, and, and that kept confirming to me that there is. The need for this quiz and they will Out appreciate way. it. Yeah, and that's how, that's how I kept going and, and eventually I, I took the jump and started my own catering Presenting this cuisine to you know the 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 people the, the the clients that I've become friends with at the restaurant you know who were like a lot of them there was a Soho restaurant a lot of them were you know successful prominent you know, artists or or, or whatever in their skills and they were entertaining parties and like to have this kind of food presented to them it was quite unique to them for New York and that catering business turned into my very first restaurant in early wow. two thousand yeah yeah. And, uh, and the rest is history. I started a restaurant in in in, um, in stuy That's all, all I could afford at the time. That restaurant became a destination. It was an African, West African bistro that uh, uh, got great reviews. The recipes were mostly recipes from memories and recipes from my mom. And I was collecting them in, in a notepad and those recipes oh Yeah, that that was the first idea for me to write a cookbook. When I looked at all those recipes and I'm like, you know, I'm going to take this into a cookbook. And then I started started shopping for a publisher and that was another story. No one thought there was a need for an African cookbook.
1: Oh my gosh. Well, what a a story and what a journey. And I can't believe that that's (laughs) kind of how that all panned out and so what year you said that was in what year that the first restaurant opened 2000
3: 2000, 2000.
1: so you've been yeah. doing this for 23 years now with the restaurant industry and is it i mean looking back would you have ever imagined that this is what it would have all turned into
3: oh no <laughs> no way i mean really i mean i was going on a on blind faith that uh, you know, there was this food would, is needed and it was appreciated. It would be appreciated, but it was really also a self serving. To me, I was like, you know, it started with craving for those flavors. You know, I was like, I was like, I, I love those flavors. I want to eat them more often. You know, I'm going to cook them, and then I'm going to share it with the people around me. And that was first the stuff at the restaurant. Uh, that I was working at, and eventually, you know, that confirmed to me that you know there was maybe more people would like it, the stuff likes it, and and then it first it was coming in specials at the restaurant. I, I forgot to mention that, and and even those specials were appreciated it, and and I took a jump, but still on blind Face, no experience in running any of the, the businesses wow. either. So, so you know, I learned on the uh, uh, while uh, while. Uh, 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 building the the, the uh, I walked walking was making the road right what an expression like that so this is how I was doing it it was uncharted territory it was pioneering that kind of cuisine was unique to new york in a sense and uh, and and I was learning how to run a business and I did learn the hard way you know the restaurant had uh, became a destination but business-wise it wasn't managed properly so i had to close it down after four years but i knew it had to you know it was i had something and so i opened another restaurant also in brooklyn and that one lasted a little longer it was also a great great hit you know both of them were yeah. really, i learned so much from those and then from that i wrote my no, you know my first cookbook that was finally when I found a publisher. The book was well received. It was, it became finalist of the Julia Child Award, which was uh, uh, shocking to everyone, including my publisher themselves. They were like, "Wow, we were just taking a chance, but we did." Yeah. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and four books so, later.
3: Four books later, yes. This one is uh, I'm really proud of this one. This is more intimate. My, see, my all the cookbooks were like about. The food, me positioned in Senegal, in West Africa, the food for my my family, my mom, the food she used to cook for me. I, you know, with Yolele, I traveled to Senegal and spent time at, even all the way to the village where my parents are from to talk about that food. And then the second book, Senegal, was more like about I wanted the reader to to know about the source of this food. You know, it's like it was always to me uh, not fair when you see a chef writing cookbooks is oftentimes the the beautiful pictures of the beautiful plates and all that but you know we don't uh, present the the roots of that food where are these ingredients coming from who are the people who are growing these ingredients or the farmers or the fishermen and i wanted right. the yeah i wanted their story to be told you know like i mentioned each food each dish is a story so that book was that you know i traveled all the way to the region to spend time with the producers, you know, women in Southeastern Senegal uh, f- uh, processing and farming this ancient grain called fonio, which is unknown, but it's so nutritious and it's, it's nutty and it's versatile. I can do so much stuff with it. What's their story, you know? And then I spent time with the fishermen in Senegal who come from a tradition of fishermen. And this one in particular that I talk about in the book, is not interested in, in having his kids becoming fishermen because there's no more fish in the water because the fish has been depleted by bigger boats that come right. from other you know, parts. So that story comes out in, you know, in a cookbook. So it's more than just a cookbook. It's like the story of the people who are making the book, the you know, food available right. to us. So totally. showing them, bringing them, and obviously in addition to that, you know, recipes, you know, around those ingredients that we talk about, and and that made this cookbook quite uh, quite amazing, and it became also finalist of the James Beard this one into best international, and then uh, you know the third cookbook was around one ingredient, that ingredient Fonio that I mentioned earlier. Because yeah. I thought it was important to, to, to talk about these ingredients in a way that would make them not only accessible to, to the, the audience and known to the audience, because otherwise these ingredients tend to disappear. So that was also my, my contribution to really not only let people know that we need to pay attention to these ingredients, especially now in times of we're talking about climate change and, and yeah. food system, broken food system. So it was the solution was to bring these ingredients to to the forefront. So that book was focused on that, and and I I, I I like documented the journey of that one grain from harvesting. Spent time with the the the, the women who are uh, uh, producing it, and then the processing of it, and then the recipes that are you know the traditional and the imagined recipes. As a chef, you know, allow myself to be creative and and have fun with this one grain and make sushi made out of fonio and make know oh, Oh yeah, or right. like, and all the way to fonio chocolate and coconut pudding with honey roasted mango, you know you can have oh, fun oh, with it. these things it, it really is, yeah, and then this last book the the one that just came out yesterday, simply West African, this one is cooked here from my home in California with my wife, Lisa Katayama, who wrote the stories of the book. And she's a, she's, she's a writer. She's from Japan. And her 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 way of writing my stories and, and me telling the recipes, those recipes that we cook here every day, is one way to also make this food more accessible, you know, like showing people that you don't need to particularly have a long-term planning to cook west african food you know you can have it every night of the week it's simple it's it's delicious it's nutritious it's healthy you know it's the most balanced diet out there you know the most west african diet is like plant forward diet that like also just um um is is just going to change your 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 life and your way of eating you know so it's like that's what this book is about it's like Not for funny. every 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 american to to consider this cuisine yeah yeah
1: well that's amazing and i think that that's such a like i mentioned in the beginning such an under <laughs> appreciated and under knowledge, you know, there's not a lot of knowledge out there about these different types of cuisines that come from this massive continent of Africa. Mm. And I think that that's a really cool thing to be able to share that and share those very important stories and kind of spread awareness about that both through your restaurants and your books and your stories and the stories from Senegal and West Africa. And I think that's a very, very cool thing. So, you know, I really appreciate you sharing those stories with me and telling me about your journey. And it seems like you've, you're in the right place and everything that happened was kind of meant to happen. And it all kind of happened for a reason. And like now you're sharing your food with the world and that's so exciting.
3: Thank you. Yes. I I feel, I feel completely uh, blessed to be, uh, to be in that position. Absolutely. To be able to share this, this wonderful cuisine. Uh, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, Pierre, and telling us all about it. You've made me very hungry. And (laughs) I'm really in the mood to try, you know, I got to check out your cookbooks. I got to check out your restaurants. Um, You know, I'm just very, very jazzed up about all of this. So I appreciate you being here.
3: Thank you. I appreciate your interest and I hope you feel better about your cold in New York City.
1: Yeah, that's probably what I need is some West African food to make
3: me feel better, huh? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I have a place for you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Take care.
1: Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast.